Good morning, everyone. It's so good to be together. You may be seated. We're glad you're here this morning. Thank God for each and every one of you. Good to see some of you we haven't seen for a while. Amen. Good to be together again. What a wonderful, precious privilege we have in the Lord and in our fellowship one with another. Thank you, worship team, for ministering to us this morning. Thank you, Pastor Sam, for doing all that work for us. Yes, praise God. (laughs) Wonderful. This morning I have a message called The Power of Three. I want to share with you. Um, But let me just begin with maybe a few introductory remarks. Uh, Last evening, about 6 o'clock, I'd driven up. I needed to stop by the church here for a moment and then had to go over to the uh, drugstore for a moment. And as I was driving back home, uh, I was surrounded by those dark, threatening clouds that were covering the sky about that time last night. But just right over my head... There was a small opening in the sky. And through that small opening, there was enough sunshine to put a rainbow on the darkest cloud. It was faint. It was dim. But there was that rainbow. And I looked at that rainbow and I remembered God's promise to Noah. I won't do it again. I won't do it again. I will never destroy the whole earth with a flood. Amen. After Jesus comes and... Everything has been dealt with. The earth will melt with a fervent heat and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. Amen. But God's got a plan for that. I'm kind of glad because that's going to be God's big eraser. (laughs) All of the filth and the garbage and the corruption and the pollution and everything else that's been in this world is going to be burned away. Amen. There will be a new heaven and there will be a new earth. That's what we have to look forward to, and that's what lies ahead. Um, But in that small rainbow, I saw and felt the hope of God's promise. The weather seemed to parallel the chaos, the confusion of these recent months and uh, these turbulent times that we live in right now. Uncertainty, fear, hatred, Divisiveness comes from all different directions. But hope is breaking through. Hope is breaking through. This morning I want to focus, if I can, on three powerful forces that will help you as a believer to be an overcomer in this time that we're living in. So anyway, just bow your head with me for a moment this morning. Father, we ask you to wash us, cleanse us, and sanctify us by the washing of your word this morning. Lord, to remove, Lord, those things that would hinder us, to remove those things that would contaminate us, and replace them with the wonder and the beauty of your grace and mercy. Lord, we ask you, Lord, to wash us as your people this morning, to purify us and sanctify us and prepare us for your purpose in these days. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. Some of you could almost uh, say this 
from memoriz- from by heart, from memoriz- from memorization. It's one of the most beautiful passages in the Bible. It's also one of the most powerful passages in the Bible, and one that is desperately needed right now in the days that we're living. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mystery and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade or push itself forward. It's not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. We know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. And now abide faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. The placement of this scripture is interesting because it's placed between the 12th chapter, which defines the powerful gifts of the Holy Spirit, and it's placed between that and the 14th chapter, which dictates Christian worship and what should be when we come together as a church. And after Paul has shared about the manifestations of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, then he says, but I show you a better way. And he wasn't dismissing the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but what he was saying is there's something that is even more powerful than those gifts. And then he goes on to say in chapter 13 here that if we're prophesying and we don't have love, It's useless, right? If we understand all mysteries, but we don't have love, what's the purpose? These words are beautiful. They're powerful. They were spoken to a church that was in a state. Uncertainty was in the church in Corinth. Fear, 
hatred, divisiveness, all those things were there. They were in confusion. They suffered from division, from carnality, from pride. They had a strange occurrence. They'd come together for a love feast. And over here would be a rich family with all of this food on the table. And over here would be a widow and an orphan with practically nothing to eat. This was the state in the church. And they thought, that's okay. It's not okay. It's not okay for one to, to abound and for another to lack. It's not okay in the church of God. Amen. We are here to love one another, to take care of each other. But that's what was going on in the church in Corinth. <laughs> and into this situation, this church with spiritual indigestion, Paul injects the medicine of healing called love. He states the necessity of love. I do all these things but don't have any love. It's profitless. I'm just clinging symbol. He describes the nature of its love and its character. Christian love is not just any love. It's a certain kind of love that's very carefully and fully described in this chapter. We'll look at that a little more in a moment. But then he speaks of the power of love. He says, love never fails. Love never fails. That is an incredible statement. Love never fails. We can fail to love. But if we love, we cannot fail. This is powerful. Everything else that he speaks of is in part, or it's imperfect, or it's temporary. But love is full and it's eternal. He speaks of the personification of love. He says, we know in part, we see through a glass darkly. We don't understand everything. But then face to face, there's a large segment of the church that believes that when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. And they're referring to the word of God. Well, the word of God is perfect. But in the context of this passage, the perfect is the face-to-face -face of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes again, John's not going to have to prophesy to me. I think we'll get it from the Lord. Because he is the fullness. But until then, we are in this in-part place of the Bible. So that's part of what he's speaking of at then at the end of the chapter, he speaks of the three essentials of overcoming power. There are three essentials. Now abides faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. We need all three. We need faith. We need hope. We need love. You know, one of the beautiful things about love is it comes in a package. You ever go shopping at Costco and you need something and you buy it and it comes in a package of three or four or whatever, you know. Judy and I have enough stuff of some things to last till Jesus comes because we shop at Costco. We got a bag. 
We've got a bottle of manganese that's big. I don't know if we'll ever use that up. We use it about twice a year. But anyway, uh, <laughs> the thing is, is, is there's a, a multiplied thing here. Faith, hope, and love. But love believes all things. Love hopes all things. If you get love, you get the triple package. Faith and hope come with love. It's part of it. And so he's laying this out very clearly for us, and it's important for us to understand this. Because we're living in a world where people feel like if they can explain the problems, they can explain the solution. And um, I don't know about you, but I've seen a few problems with that. And I haven't heard too many people say, we know in part. <clears throat> so what they're saying comes apart. But anyway. <laughs> but Paul wrote this song before anybody else wrote it. What the world needs now is love. And life without love is meaningless, and I think it is purposeless and it's powerless. Words without love are useless and without profit. Too many words, too little love. <laughs> Even in the church, we have non-profit prophecy. People who, I'm not looking at you, John. You don't have to come under conviction. <laughs> That man's full of love. I've never heard him say anything but in love. But there are people out there who prophesy who have no love. That's why I call their non-profit. They're just tinkling brass and clanging cymbals. They're, they're non-profit prophets. Because they've left out the most important part, which is love. And uh, that's the most essential part. Everything that's said, everything that's done needs to be motivated by love. It needs to be carried out in a spirit of love that is empowered by the Spirit of God. And we need to understand clearly the situation that we're in. Probably the most helpful words I've heard all this week was I was listening to one commentator and he said, we need to understand what's going on. He says, this isn't this, it's not that, it's not that. This is a war between good and evil. Uh, now that helps. That makes sense. That's really what's going on. Good and evil are fighting one with another. The book, the Bible, is from Genesis all the way to Revelation, is really recounting this war that continually goes on between the goodness and the godliness of God's people and the evil of the wicked and the unrighteous. There's this conflict that constantly goes on. It goes all the way from Genesis to Revelation. The book of Revelation speaks about the conflict between the woman and the dragon. And the book of Revelation, by the way, the book of Revelation is simple to understand. Almost everything in the book of Revelation is defined somewhere in Revelation. And the woman... You say, well, who is the woman? It says, the woman are those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. What's that sound like to you? That sounds to me like those who 
have honor God's commandments and know Jesus Christ. I mean, this is, this is the woman. And the dragon, who's also defined as a ten-nation confederacy that hates Israel and hates the church and hates anything that has to do with God, that's the dragon. And so this again shows this conflict between the woman and the dragon. Uh, and, and in this conflict, there is a threefold confederation that is against us. There's the beast, which is the world economic system. There's the dragon, which I says, as I spoke of, it's a confederation of these ten goat nations. And then there's a false prophet who represents false religion and philosophies. And in the book, chapter 17 of Revelation, it says, I saw three frogs coming out of their mouth, one out of each one of their mouths. And the frog, the evil spirit coming out of the mouth of the beast, is a spirit of greed and power and corruption. The spirit that's coming out of the mouth of the dragon is hatred, divisiveness, and perversion. The spirit that comes out of the mouth of the false prophet is a spirit of lies and deceit. And these represent the culmination of evil upon the face of the earth. They represent a last gasp attempt to overcome the Lord, to overcome the anointed ones, to overcome God's people. And I believe that we're experiencing, we're beginning to feel the manifestation of these spirits in the atmosphere that is on the earth today. Amen. As we get closer to the coming of the Lord Jesus, these things become stronger. But the Word of God talks about in Revelation 12, 11, it says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not lie, love their lives unto death. Amen. I always know when I have the right sermon because they're singing all these songs that are emphasizing the blood of the Lamb this morning. Because that's what I'm going to focus on here. Because the power of love and the, the power of God's blood are bound together. Our dear friend, Dr. Chuck Flynn, who went to be with in the Lord in heaven about five years ago, always spoke of the blood of Jesus as the liquid love. God's liquid love. I mean, there, God's love is bound up in his blood. You know, how do I know he loved me? He died for me. Amen. Greater love has no man, John, than to lay down his life for his brethren, for his friends. So I know he loved me because he died for me. He gave himself for me. I know Jesus loves me. I know he loves you. Because he died for us. He shed his blood for us that we might live. That we might have life. But the good news this morning. I spoke about the power of evil. But the good news this morning. Is we've been empowered to overcome. And we can overcome. Amen. There are three necessities in the life of the overcomer. Faith, hope, love. Especially the greatest one, which is love. 
Forty years ago, as I was beginning my ministry, it just, I, I just felt compelled to ask the Lord, Lord, what is my life message? What do you want me to focus on? What is, what is the unique message that you're giving to me as your servant? And he spoke to me, and he said, John, it's love in the last days. Love in the last days. And God began to open up a revelation of the power of love in the last days. And I've shared that message for 40 years all over the world. But it's powerful because I believe God has given us a love that will stand and given us the power to stand in this day. But we must understand that we, we, we derive the power of that love through the quality of that love. The quality of that love. Love suffers and is kind. Most people today don't know how to suffer for five minutes. It's too hot. It's too cold. I don't like this chair. It's uncomfortable. We don't know how to suffer. We don't know how to, to go through hard things. I tell you what, I, I respect the mothers of this church. Well, all mothers, really. I've I, I watched my, my wife and I've watched my, my daughter go through labor. And I, you know, it was hard enough for my wife. Julia did 60 hours on her first child. And I mean, this sweet little girl that I grew up with, you know, who was afraid of spiders bore down and delivered a child through 60 hours or more of hard labor. And, you know, because you, that maternal instinct, love arises in your heart. And one thing that that love does is it, it causes you to suffer. Amen. And so the thing is, is, it's not that we're trying to avoid pain. It's how we get through pain, how we bear that pain. We need the love of God to enable us to suffer in a godly way, in a way that will produce re results. You can suffer in a way that it doesn't mount anything, or you can suffer in a godly way that does something. But love doesn't envy. Love is never jealous of what the other person has, but rejoices that that person has what they have and is honored to have what they have. There's no strife. There's no envy. No envy. Love doesn't parade itself. It's not trying to be the center of attention. In fact, I think love often works best when it's noticed least. When it's that secret, powerful force that's working in people's lives. And sometimes they're not even aware of it. Love does not behave rudely. We live in a generation that doesn't know how to spell manners. But love is manners impersified, impersonified. Excuse me, left something out there. But because it's, it's always considering the other person. It's always considering the other person. And I, I think sometimes our love is shame because there are many times people who are not Christians who are more considerate of others than we are. We need to be the most considerate people upon the face of the earth. I was at the store the other day and there was 
two people going in the door, and I was standing there, and they insisted that I go through the door before they did. And I insisted that they go through the door before I do. I lost. Because they, they were from a different culture that honors the elderly. <laughs> and I'm not used to that. <laughs> but they weren't going to go in there until the old man got in there. So anyway... But love considers others. Love does not seek its own. Love is not easily provoked. Doesn't react. It's not about us. It's not about us. It's about Jesus and it's about others. I remember what Pastor Pat said to me. He said, John, joy is spelled J-O-Y. He says that stands for Jesus, others, you in that order that's joy when you live with that in your heart that's your priority Jesus others and then you God's not going to leave you out but he says to consider others consider others even sometimes more important than ourselves love is not provoked. Love thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. That's a test. How many of you sometimes someone in the political party that's not in the political party that you're in has a disaster and you rejoice? Someone who hurts you gets hurt and you rejoice, not love. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. Love rejoices in truth. Love has incredible ability to bear all things. To bear all things. Pastor John, all in the Greek is pan. It means all. It means every last one of them. It means completely, you know, nothing left out, all. Love bears all things. Love believes all things that are true. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. If you're having problems with endurance, go buy Fox Book of Martyrs. Read through that and see what Christians who've gone before us have had to endure. And understand that the reason they were able to endure those things, I mean, tradition tells us that the Apostle John was boiled in oil. Now, whether he died and God raised him from the dead or he just wished he was dead, can you imagine that French fried apostle? And blisters all over your body, bad scars, all of those things that come from being boiled in oil. I mean, you can't even understand how someone could go through that and survive, but love endures all things. 
John was the apostle of love. And he bore and he suffered those things. He endured those things. And the chief quality of love is always mercy. Always mercy. And I just want to impress upon you this morning the importance of showing mercy. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The quality of mercy God gave. God did not judge. God gave mercy to us in Jesus Christ. 1 John 4, 10 and 11 says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and He sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Jesus put his blood between us and judgment. Because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we do not have to pass through the wrath of God. You understand what I'm saying? The Bible says you're not appointed to wrath. Why? Because the Lord has made a way for us. He's shown mercy to us. He put his blood between us and the judgment of our sins. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. But Jesus became an intercessor. He stood in our place and died and became sin that we might be the righteousness of God in him. He took our place. He died for us that we might live through him. That's love. That's love. The, mercy, the blood of Jesus was sprinkled upon the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant of God in heaven. And when he did, the blood washed away the sins of all who would call upon the name of Jesus. That whosoever would believe would not perish, but have life. And because of that blood, we can come boldly to that throne of grace. Man, we, we, we don't have to fear God. We can walk into his presence knowing he will not kill us. <laughs> he will not squash us. He will love us. He will care for us. He will receive us. And he will bless us. And he will do for us what is needed. But it didn't stop there. It said, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And that means that we stand between that person and judgment. If I see John Branson's sin, I should stand between him and judgment. I should not come to condemn him. I should not come to point a finger at him. But I should stand between him and judgment. And I should trust the Lord to bring a change in his life. How did you get saved? How did you get sanctified? (laughs) I know how I did. I ran to the foot of the cross. And I put my arms around that cross and embraced it and embraced Jesus. 
I knew I did not deserve to be saved, and I knew I could not save myself. But I knew that Jesus would save me if I would call upon him. So I went to the foot of the cross and I called upon Jesus. So what do we do when we see somebody sin? What do we do when somebody needs to be saved? We need to be intercessors. We need to go and fall at the foot of the cross in their name and for their sake and put our arms around their cross for that their sake and say, Lord, have mercy on them. Let your blood separate them from judgment. Let your power bring a change and a transformation in their life. That's what the church ought to be doing, is ministering the power of the cross to those who need the power of the cross. We ought to be sharing the power of the blood with those who need the power of the blood. This is what love is. It's thinking about others. John says in John 5, 1 John 5, 16, if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which is not lead does not lead to death he will ask he will ask he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death there's a blasphemy against the lord and against the holy spirit but the thing is is most sin is not of that seriousness most sin is serious all sin is serious all sin is deadly We go around wearing stupid masks so we won't catch the flu. There's a deadly disease called sin that spreads among men every day. And we have the antidote, which is the blood of Jesus Christ. (laughs) We already have the vaccine that can heal this disease. And it's love. The cross is God's love manifested to the world. Hallelujah. And we need to love each other to that degree of mercy which God has shown us. Men, when I was, went to Utah to pastor, begin pastoring there, as you may know, the majority of the population is Latter-day Saints or Mormons. And... Uh, when I had been there before as a student, I always argued with the Mormons, telling them that they were wrong and I was right. But when I went there as a pastor, the Lord instructed me almost immediately, and he said, John, you need to love the Mormons as though they're already saved. He said, you can never win anybody to Jesus if you don't love them. And it changed the way that I approached it and it changed the results because then there was something that was real, there was something wonderful and it was the love of God that could be manifested to them. And that's what all people need is a greater measure of God's love. One of the most beautiful things that I've seen just in the last couple of weeks, a couple of times I've seen people in a protest on opposite sides of a line kneel down together and begin to pray for one another. That's love. That's love. 
It's not about being who's right, who's wrong. It's not about what you did or didn't do. It's about what we need from the Lord. And I'm going to pray for you, and I'm asking you to pray for me so that we have an answer in this day. That's love. Faith, hope, and love. Faith is knowing that with God, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. Faith is that assurance that what we don't see will be seen. With God, nothing's impossible. Hope sees the dream and knows it can become a reality. But love is the mechanic by which this happens. Faith and hope work through love. And it's love empowering faith and hope that matters. And the world needs to see a rainbow on the cloud of confusion. The world needs to see a rainbow in the midst of judgment. The Lord needs to see, or the world needs to see unity in the midst of division. And I'm sharing with this with you this morning because I know as a Christian of more than 60 years, I know this. When you're fighting a battle, how do you know what you're fighting? You know what you're fighting because what's fighting you? If you're being tempted to hate, what are you fighting? If you're being tempted to be divisive, what are you fighting? But you, you have to use a different weapon. Your discernment can tell you what you're fighting, but you have to use a different weapon. If you're going to win, you have to use, let love work that out in somebody else's life. Amen. I, I just believe God's giving us something we need right now very, very desperately in this hour in which we're living. Amen. Hallelujah. On as we were worshiping, the Lord was speaking to me about you. <laughs> and you're special. There, it's very interesting that in the Old Testament, there was this woman, a widow, who lived in this place called Zarephath. And uh, Elijah or Elisha came to her house, one or the other. Right now, I can't remember. But anyway, and he was hungry. And all she had was a little bit of food. But she, the, the prophet said, if you'll just prepare a little bit of that for me, the Lord will prepare more for you. And so this woman took a part of that little bit of flour and that little bit of oil, and she made a cake and she gave it to the prophet. And there's a passage of scripture that says that he who gives to a prophet receives a prophet's reward. And the reward for that widow was that her oil and her mill lasted for three and a half years. God multiplied it so what would have only lasted for one mill lasted for three and a half years. 
The Lord says, I have a supernatural provision for your life because you have given to my servants. I will give to you and you will not lack. Your household will not lack. I will take care of you. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise you, Jesus. Amen. John, I heard a word for you. John Cena. The Lord is going to open a door. It's going to be a little tiny door. And it's just barely going to be open. And somebody's going to be saying, John, come through this door. And you're going to look at it. And you're going to say, what is that? The Lord says, don't judge the opportunity by the size of the door or by the person who's asking. Because I'm going to give you a little bit of opening into a great opportunity. It's going to happen in a way that will be a little bit unusual, a bit of a mystery. But God's going to use, I kind of see a secular situation. But God's going to open that door and it's going to give you incredible spiritual opportunity to minister the gospel and minister the Lord to many people. The Lord's going to open the door for you. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. You're a man of love and they need that love on the other side of that door. So, amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Nice thing about love, John, is it can go through a real small opening. A lot of it <laughs> can go through a real small opening. People open their heart just that much to Jesus. He'll go boom. Come all the way in there, just like that. He doesn't need a lot of room to get in there. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Beth, Jesus is the chief shepherd. He's the shepherd of your soul. And he's the shepherd of those sheep that you shepherd. The Lord wants you to know that in the midst of this turmoil, he has his hand upon them and he has his hand upon you. To not fear, not be dismayed, because God's going to take little and make much. And when you go back, the hindrances will be gone. The enemy's back will be broken. A door of opportunity will lay before you. So rejoice and be glad, because the Lord is working on your behalf. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Yeah, come on, guys. Just pray. Amen. Stretch your hand over here and pray for On. She found out she'd lost a bunch of jobs on Friday. Needs a replacement, but God's word says there's going to be one. But just reach over there and pray for her in faith. Lord, thank you. Give her more than she lost. Lord, more than she lost. Give her more than she lost. Lord, oh, Ramando Rabasiara. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. Oh, Ramando There's someone here this week who received a bad report from one of your children, a grown child. And uh, it's keeping you awake and disturbing you. The Lord says, I've empowered you to go to the cross for their sake. And if you go to the cross and you begin to call upon me for them, 
and bring their name before me, the Lord says, I'll turn that. And that situation will change, and it will change quickly, and it will change powerfully. Men, because they need the cross. They need the cross, and God's asking you to go to the cross for their sake. They need to experience the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. I cannot tell you the most powerful experiences I've had at the foot of the cross. As a young child, eight or nine years old, I found that the foot of the cross, that Jesus forgave my sins. I didn't even know how many sins I had, but I had a bunch. But I knew the moment that I asked Jesus into my life, those sins were lifted off of me and that I was set free by the power of his love. It was about 10 years later that I became aware not of the sins I had done, but of the sin that was in me. My sin nature, that part of me that wanted to sin. And I quickly became aware that I didn't have the power over that carnal person. I did not have the power to transform who I was, even though I wanted to be changed. I did not have the power to change me. So I went back to the cross. I went back to the cross. And I asked the Lord to work a work in my heart and deal with that sinful, sinful nature that was in me. And God did a wonderful, wonderful work. I'm telling you this morning, you will find grace at the foot of the cross. As the worship team begins to sing, I'm going to invite you to come to the altar this morning. Amen. Whatever the situation in your life, the Lord is here to meet you this morning. Come boldly, come boldly to the foot of the cross today. Just come, stand together, come quickly. If